Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Strangers in Jerusalem YouTube channel and podcast, where we explore the Gospels and the Jesus traditions within their Jewish context. I'm Dr. Trevin Hatch. Thank you for supporting this channel and coming and viewing this episode. Please click subscribe and comment in the comments uh, something new that you learned while watching this video. If you want to find this material in the podcast, if you want to listen to that, you can find that at strangersinjerusalem.podbean.com. You can also check out my book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew. You'll find many insights in that book that you don't get in this video. In this episode, we will take a look at Jesus and exorcism, specifically in relation to the storm episode on the Sea of Galilee. So we'll look at, we'll look at exorcism, but then we'll show how that episode where he calms the storm might be considered an exorcism. So follow me, let's go to Jerusalem. spirits was common in Jesus's day as attested by uh, many ancient Jewish texts. However, accounts of demon-possessed people and their exorcisms are less common. Jewish sources in antiquity provide just enough information for us to situate Jesus within a Jewish exorcistic context. As we talked about in a previous video, illness was often associated with sin in the ancient world. Likewise, afflicted people, sick, sick people in different ways, were assumed to have been possessed by evil spirits. Notice the language in Luke when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Her fever actually behaves like a demon. So Jesus stands over her and said, and rebukes, uses that word, rebukes the fever, and it left her. The immediate two verses describes other sick people with various kinds of illness and, quote, demons came out of many, unquote. That's Luke 4, 38-41. The author of Luke, in his attempt to explain the tragic case of Judas concluded that, quote, Satan entered Judas, unquote, Luke 22, 3. I have exercised the demons. This house is clear. We must emphasize here that exorcism seemed to be a crucial aspect of Jesus's ministry, according to at least two of the Gospels. How do we know? Because when Jesus appoints his 12 apostles in the Gospel of Mark, he gives them authority to do one specific thing, namely to cast out demons, Mark 3, 15. In Matthew, Jesus only gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, Matthew 10, 1. The following clause, in the same verse in Matthew, the following clause says, quote, and to cure every disease and every sickness. This is related to unclean spirits, further illustrating that people who had a virus or disease were thought to have been afflicted by an evil spirit. Josephus introduces us to an exorcist named Eleazar, a contemporary of Jesus who drew out demons by employing King Solomon's method. Josephus was an eyewitness of one particular exorcism. Quote, I became acquainted with a certain Eleazar of my own people who delivered those possessed by demons. The method of healing is as follows bringing up to the nose of the demonized person a ring that had under its seal a root from among those prescribed by Solomon. He, Eleazar, would then draw out the demonic presence through the nostrils as the man sniffed. Upon the man's immediately falling down, he adjured the demon presence not to return to him again, making mention of Solomon and likewise reciting the incantations he had composed. 
Eliezer, wishing to persuade and convince those present that he had this power, first placed a cup or foot basin filled with water a short distance away and ordered the demon presence, which was now outside the person, to knock these over and so caused the spectators to realize that it had left the person. When this happened, the sagacity and wisdom of Solomon became evident through this. So that, that whole thing is the quote by Josephus. Now, similarities between Jesus and Eleazar the exorcist are intriguing. The detail that possessed individuals lose control of their physical functions and fall down is present in Mark. Whenever embodied demons encounter Jesus, they, quote, fell down before him, unquote, Mark 3.11. That could be more of a worship uh, uh, way for demons to worship Jesus or to recognize his authority, but those exact words are present uh, when demons fall down or that the person with demons falls down. Later in, in the Gospel of Mark, when an evil spirit sees Jesus approaching, it sends the afflicted boy into convulsions, quote, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, unquote. It's Mark 9.20. In addition, both Eleazar and Jesus command the demon to depart and never repossess the body of the demoniac. See Mark 9.25. The Solomon element in Josephus' account is also important for understanding the demon episode in the Gospels. Jesus' authority is challenged throughout his ministry, and he is accused of performing miracles by sorcery and magic. See Luke, uh, Luke 11, 14 through 20, Mark 3, 22, Matthew 12, 24. In Jesus' generation, myths circulated widely that King Solomon was skilled in magic and exorcism. Two ancient texts dating to the New Testament period, these are the Wisdom of Solomon and the Testament of Solomon, discuss Solomon's ability to communicate with spirits and to exercise demons. This information provides context for Jesus' comment later in his ministry while discussing evil spirits and seeking signs. He says that one greater than Solomon is here. Uh, he says this in Luke eleven thirty-one and Matthew twelve forty-two. The meaning is probably that, like Solomon, Jesus not only had the power to cast out demons, but he could do it better than Solomon. A few other early Jewish accounts of exorcism are notable, two of which are found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. In Genesis Apocryphon, this is the 2nd century BCE through the CE, sometime in that period, this is a retelling, this text is a retelling of Genesis through the presuppositions of the Qumran community. In this text, we encounter the exorcism of Pharaoh. After Pharaoh took Abraham's wife, he was tormented with an evil spirit. Pharaoh asked Abraham to take his wife away, but not before praying for him. Abraham, quote, laid his hands upon Pharaoh, and the plague was removed from him. The evil spirit exercised from him, and he was healed, unquote. We recall the instances in the Gospels when Jesus lays his hands on a woman and frees her from a spirit that ailed her in Luke chapter 13. And it says, quote, when all those who had any who were sick with various kinds of diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on each of them and cured them, demons came out of many, unquote. Uh, you can see that in Luke 4, uh, verse 40. The other exorcism in the Dead Sea Scrolls is in the apocryphal Daniel text. The king of Babylon was smitten by God with an evil disease because of sin. A Jewish exorcist freed him of an evil spirit, and it says, quote, as for his sin, he remitted it, unquote. The Gospels have no parallel where Jesus specifically forgives the sins of demoniacs or tells them to sin no more, but numerous episodes illustrate that Jesus exercises many demons and tells the afflicted that their sins are forgiven. 
Even casual readers of the Gospels today recall that demons approach Jesus several times, including Satan, whom Jesus defeats in the wilderness. In Mark chapter 5, for example, a group of demons recognize Jesus as the Son of the Most High God and beg him not to cast them out of the country, if you remember that. Jesus gives them permission to occupy the bodies of swine in Mark 5. It's interesting because there's another rabbi who lived in about 10 miles from Nazareth. In the first century, this guy's name was Rabbi Hanina Bendoza, a demoniac leader with her 180,000 destroying angels recognized Rabbi Hanina Bendoza as a man of heaven. She saw, sees him and the demoniac that's possessed by 180,000 destroying angels sees this holy man named Rabbi Hanina and calls him a man of heaven. As with Jesus, Hanina ordered the demon from the region, says, leave out of this country, don't come back. And then she begs him, the, the demoniac begs him to leave them a little room for them to stay, just as they did with Jesus, and so he casts them into swine. Similar stories of Satan appearing to prominent holy men are found elsewhere in rabbinic literature. Another episode relevant to demons and exorcism in the Gospels is the episode of Jesus calming the storm. This might seem to be a surprise to you, but let me show you uh, how, how this works. In the Hebrew scriptures and in early Jewish texts, chaotic waters, the, wa the chaos of the waters, are associated with evil and often house or the, the dwelling place of beast, demons, or sea monsters. These are not to be taken necessarily to be literal, but are symbols of evil in early Jewish literature. Although some people may have, at Jesus' time, may have thought that these monsters were literal, um, but others may not have. For example, in Genesis chapter 1, when God creates the earth, it says that darkness covered the face of the deep. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, darkness, or choshek in Hebrew, is a symbol of evil and the underworld. It's a symbol of both evil and the underworld in ancient Israel. I'll put a lot of these verses upon the references upon the screen, but I'll, there's a few of them. Job 17, 13, Job 22, 11, Psalm 88, 12, Isaiah 5, 20, Joel 2, 2, Zephaniah 1, 15. God subdues this, in Genesis, he subdues this formless void and darkness when his wind, or literally spirit, sweeps over the face of the waters, if you remember that language. Then what happens is that there is light that God calls good. The authors of Daniel and Revelation see beasts come out of the sea. So now we have Genesis, where the waters are associated with darkness and evil, and then we compare that to the authors of Daniel and Revelation, who see envision beasts coming out of the sea. Daniel 7, Revelation 13, Revelation 21. Several Israelite authors refer to these evil beasts as Rahav, Leviathan, or a dragon. The author of Isaiah understands that the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, and he will kill the dragon that is in the sea. That's Isaiah 27.1. Isaiah also says that the Lord is known in Israel for cutting Rahav, Rahav, Rahab, into pieces and for piercing the dragon, Isaiah 51, 9, and 10. In rabbinic literature, Rahav is the chief demon of the sea. In the book of Job, Yahweh calms, or Jehovah, where we get Jehovah, calms the sea by striking down Leviathan. That's Job 26, 12, and also Job 3, 8. The psalmist also gives Jehovah credit for breaking, quote, the heads of the dragons in the waters, unquote, and for crushing, quote, the heads of Leviathan, 
unquote. This is Psalm 74, 13, and 14. The author of the Thanksgiving hymn in the Dead Sea Scrolls, so this is during the generation of Jesus or shortly before, laments that the devil opposes him. The author says, the devil opposes me so much that he compared himself to a sailor on a ship when the seas stir up and the waves and all their breakers come over me. A staggering wind roars without calm to revive the soul. The depths roar to my groaning and my soul approaches the gates of death. This is in 1QH. This is a Thanksgiving hymn in, in, uh, in Qumran. In the Testament of Solomon, this is, a, again, a text dated to around the time of Jesus, King Solomon converses with a demon who had the form of a horse in the front and, the, and a fish in the back, it says. Basically a seahorse. A seahorse demon refers to himself as a cruel spirit of the sea who transforms himself into a wave and comes against the ships, hurling men under the sea and lusting after their bodies. Right? It is no wonder that people on the ocean, on the sea, on the waters, or on the Mediterranean, or even the Sea of Galilee, were scared. They saw the waves and the storms as, as demons trying to get them. The author of Second Baruch, this is another early second century CE text, believed that when the Messiah comes, he would contend with the demon of the sea. Quote, when the anointed one will begin to be revealed, the behemoth will reveal itself from its place, and Leviathan will come from the sea, unquote. These early Jewish sea demon notions provide context for Jesus' calming of the storm. This nature miracle makes sense against the backdrop of the association between chaotic waters and demons. For early Christians, Jesus was the Messiah, and therefore this story illustrates for them that he triumphed over evil when he conquered the raging storm on the Sea of Galilee. So, for example, just as Jesus rebukes evil spirits throughout his ministry, that, that actual word is used many times, he also rebukes the storm. The Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word for rebuke, epitomao in Greek, is the Hebrew equivalent is ga'ar. This term is used in rabbinic texts in relation to silencing Satan. Moreover, Jesus' words in Mark, quote, peace be still, if you guys remember that, that, those words, that phrase comes from the Greek pephimoso, meaning to muzzle or to exercise a demon. Thus, Jesus' rebuke of a storm to be still demonstrates his control over the elements, even those elements believed to be the abode of the chief demon. The message of such a Jewish miracle story is not apparent to modern English-speaking readers, but would have resonated with Jesus' Jewish peers especially those educated in the Hebrew scriptures. A similar miracle story is found in rabbinic literature where, where Rabbi Gamliel, the, the mentor of Paul, according to the book of Acts, calms a storm through prayer. And here it is, quote, Rabbi Gamaliel was traveling in a ship when a huge wave arose to drown him. Thereupon he arose and exclaimed, Sovereign of the universe, thou knowest full well that I have not acted for my honor, nor for the honor of my paternal house, but for thine so that strife may not multiply in Israel. That was his prayer. And then the text says, at that, at that prayer, the raging sea subsided. Notice that the storm is associated with contention and strife in Israel, and only Gamaliel's righteousness and humility could facilitate such a miracle. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in for, and for staying with me throughout this episode. Tell me something new that you learned while watching this episode. And again, you'll find many more uh, details in my book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew. That was awesome.